Genesis chapter 39 today. Um, today's message is titled, Losing Your Coat Without Losing Your Character. We've been talking about the life of Joseph, and uh, after you get done with your reading plan this week, everybody, we will have read through the entire book of Genesis as a church already in January. Uh, some of you are probably just felt really guilty when I said that because you're like, um, I'm still on week one. It's okay. It's not a matter of how much we get through the Bible this year. It's how much the Bible gets through you. That's what's important. And, um, and listen, if you, if at all of last year, you've only read the Bible for five minutes and you read it for six minutes this year, I, th I think you've accomplished something. Wouldn't you agree? So celebrate yourselves by giving yourself a big round of applause for adding that extra minute of reading. It's okay. Oh, that was a golf clap. That's okay. <laughs> golf claps. Isn't that weird? Have you ever played golf with me? There ain't no clapping. There's a lot of repentance. Um, I can throw a club further than I can hit a golf ball. So last week we talked about Joseph. You remember his dreams? where God gave him this dream, and he decided I should probably go share this with my siblings and told his brothers, hey, uh, I saw this dream, and short story, uh, all of you are going to bow down, and you're going to worship me. Now, I, I have siblings. I don't think that storyline would go very well with mine. I'm pretty sure you're probably the same way. Um, but he says, hey, you're going to worship me. That dream got him in a lot of trouble. His brothers decided to throw him into a pit. They took this coat that he had, the garment, remember that? It was a a symbol of status and a symbol of look at me, look how good I was, I am. And it had these long sleeves on it, which tells us because he had his long sleeves and his pretty coat, pretty boy wasn't working out in the field with his brothers. So they, they quickly got a bit of an attitude with that because daddy has a favorite son and his favorite son doesn't want to do the work. And so we're going to fix this because we're tired of daddy showing favoritism. So they throw Joseph in a pit. They take his coat, and the Bible says in the Hebrew language, it was like ripping the skin off of an animal. They rub blood over it. They take it back to Joseph, and they say, hey, we're sorry to report to you, but your son's dead. And they got attacked by a bunch of wild animals. Meanwhile, while Joseph is in the pit, you remember where the brothers were? They were eating their lunch. They had packed themselves a picnic. And can you imagine as they're eating that food, Joseph is crying out from this dry pit, begging for mercy, begging for help. Well, as you found in your readings this week, what we find is Joseph is now in the house of Potiphar. Um, Potiphar is an officer of the Pharaoh because they're now in Egypt. Everything is going well for Joseph. I know he's a slave, but hear me out. Things are going really well for him as a slave. If you're going to be a slave, you want to be in the position that Joseph is in. The past has behind, is behind him now. He has moved on. He has gotten bigger, better things in front of him. He has been put in command of Potiphar's house. And just as things are going well, well, Potiphar's wife is scheming to, in some ways, seduce him into temptation. I want to show you that the only thing standing between us and messing up our lives is the word no. It's the word no. And I want to show you today that God will use trials and tribulations in our lives to draw us closer to him. So if you'll turn with me in Genesis chapter 39, the Bible says this starting in verse 1. Now Joseph had been taken to Egypt. Remember, because he was sold into slavery, and he's taken by the Ishmaelites to, to Egypt. 
And there's an Egyptian named Potiphar, an officer of the Pharaoh and the captain of the guards. They brought him from the Ishmaelites who had brought him there. And the Lord was with Joseph, and he became a successful man, serving in the household of his Egyptian master. And when his master saw that the Lord was with him, and that the Lord had made everything he did successful, Joseph found favor with his master, and he became his personal attendant. Potiphar also put him in charge of his household. He placed all that he owned under his authority. From the time that he put him in charge of the household and all that he owned, the Lord blessed the Egyptian's house because of Joseph. Did you know sometimes the Lord will bless other people through you, through the way you do things? We're talking about a pagan nation of Egypt, and God is blessing Egypt because of Joseph. And he says, the Lord's blessing was on all that he owned in his house and in his fields. And he left all that he owned under Joseph's authority. He did not concern himself with anything except the food that he ate. Now here are three insights I want to give you from this passage uh, this morning about this encounter between Joseph and Potiphar's wife. Your, encounter, your first encounter is this, is you've got to be faithful wherever it is that you are placed. You need to be faithful where you're placed. You may not like where you're placed. You may wish that there were other circumstances of where you're placed, but you got to become, you got to get to a point that you're going to be faithful in the place that you are now, right? Some of you are crying to get to a new place, but God's trying to teach you something in the current place before he can get you to the new place. Because sometimes you get into the new place, you ain't ready for the new place. You know what I mean? Like there's a reason that you don't hand your 12 year old the keys to your car. They ain't ready for that. There's a reason you don't give your six year old uh, the password to your Amazon shopping cart because then you got 40 seasons of Bluey that have been ordered, and now you're watching Bluey until God knows when. You have to be faithful where you're placed. Joseph is working as a slave for Potiphar. Listen to me. Potiphar is a captain in the Pharaoh's military. He is in charge of executions, okay? Can you say, do not get on that guy's bad side? It will not go well for you. And so he has found himself and positioned himself in the house of the captain of the guards of execution. Other words, Potiphar could have killed him in a moment if he wanted. And, and Potiphar realizes that he can trust Joseph with his entire house. And because there's a trust established, Joseph begins to rise to power. Where he will become, eventually will become the second most powerful person in all of Egypt. Wouldn't you agree with me that's a long way from coming from a pit? Like you were thrown in a pit. And now you're, you're in the palace. Most slaves worked outside. But get this, Joseph is working inside the house. I would imagine, I mean, he's a pretty boy. Have y'all figured that out by now? Like, ain't going to get his hands dirty. So God is just like, okay, I'll just, I'll help you. Well, you can go work inside so you don't have to sweat. And he's working inside the house, not outside. And he's probably thinking to himself, I know I'm a slave, but I don't think things can get any better. Like, I've got, it, I've got it made. This is a pretty good place, right? But I have to imagine that at some point Joseph is thinking, what about that dream? At what point? Because let's be honest. If God told you that your siblings were going to bow down to you and worship you, wouldn't that always be in the back of your mind? Like, when, when is this going to happen? God gave him that dream when he was 17 years old, where his brothers were going to bowed down, they were going to worship, that he was going to have this power and authority over them. And, and probably asking the question, like, when is that promise going to come true? When, when am I going to see it happen? 
And one of the things that we see through the life of Joseph is this, that God is never in a hurry. We are. And we often will rush the things of God instead of just trusting his timing to put us exactly where we need to be when we need to be there. Wouldn't you agree with me that we allow our culture of hurry to interrupt our relationship with God to make it think that God needs to be on our time? That, God, I'm going to need you to speed up. You ever had those prayers? God, I really need you to, uh, you know, let's get this thing going. Let's hurry up. This building, for instance, was one of those prayers. Uh, For four years, we prayed that God would provide. Um, We we appreciated where we came from, but how many of you know loading a trailer in and out and winding cables every single Sunday? um, It's probably, if there was a purgatory, I think that's what it would probably be. Like, yeah, preach. And I... Those are the people that were here at like 6 in the morning trying to get the church set up for us and tear it back down in an hour and a half. That was the craziest thing. Take you two hours to set it up, hour and a half to take it back down. It was like, oh, man, that was a lot of work. Can we just leave it up? But we, we had opportunities on the table to move into a building. We, we had multiple properties we had looked at. We had multiple conversations with people. But we were not in a hurry because we were going to let God do what God needed to do. What would have happened if we would have rushed the decision on getting to a building? It would not have been good, would it? We can never push God and rush God. God is never in a hurry. He is on his time, and he is always on time. God does not operate on our time schedules. I wish he did, but the other part of me is I'm glad he doesn't. Now, Joseph shows us that spiritual growth takes time. There's a process here. Think about it. God gives him a promise at the age of 17. You remember the dreams you had at 17? No? Okay. Maybe I was the only one dreaming at 17. But he's promised at the age of 17, and it's not going to be until he's 30 years old before he rises to power. Now, I'm not a mathematician, but you subtract 17 from 30, and we get the age. All right, apparently you aren't either. 13. We get 13 years old. It's It's been 13 years that he's been waiting on this promise to be fulfilled, that his brothers are going to come before him. They're going to bow down. 13 years on a promise. Can you say God's not in a hurry? He's not, he's not rushing. He's, he's got Joseph in a place. And, and if you had to script this and you're Joseph and you get to choose your storyline, this is not the storyline you choose. But for 13 years, God's guiding him, moving him for this promise to be fulfilled. And in those 13 years, Joseph is faithful where it is that he is placed. And it could be worse. He could be back in the pit. But he's in the palace. The second thing this shows us is this, that you need to flee from temptations. Flee from temptations. What we're going to see is Joseph is going to be faced with a temptation that could cost him everything, and it can ruin the promise. I love this verse. You, ever, you remember, um, I remember going to church, and they're like, put your name in this verse, for God so loved, and I want you to insert your name here, right? For God so loved Robbie that he gave his, you remember that? This is the perfect verse, guys, for you to insert your name. You ready? Insert your name here. Now, your name was well-built and handsome. (laughs) This is my life verse. I want it on my tombstone. I'm well-built, more like a truck, but dump truck. But it says that Joseph was well-built and he's handsome. How many of you can attest to that? Just Fritz. 
Praise the Lord. Thank you, God, from whom all blessings flow. <laughs> Th- things are at an all-time high, right? Everything's going well. But behind the scenes, Potiphar's wife is scheming. She's scheming to take this well-built, handsome man. She can't keep her hands to herself, can't keep her eyes to herself. And look what happens in verse 7. After some time, his master's wife looked longingly at Joseph, just staring awkwardly. I imagine that meme that's online where the dude's like peeping around the tree, just staring with that grin on his face. This is her. She's just staring. And look at the advancement. She says this. Not, hey, can I have your number or check yes or no. She says, come sleep with me. Whoa, we just met. Like, this, this ain't going to work out. This is more than would you lie with me. This is Potiphar's wife's request of will you sleep with me. That's taking it to a whole nother level, Right? You have to believe that she is on him relentlessly. There is this young, handsome, well-built guy walking around our house. And she is following him, batting her eyes at him, flirting at him. And, and Joseph has every, every right to excuse himself because of his past. I'm like, you know, think, God made a promise he hadn't come through yet. And I was thrown into a pit. I'm, I'm not with my family anymore. I was sold as a slave. So this should be okay, right? I, could, I should be able to excuse this because of my past. He was his father's favorite. And Joseph has every right to excuse his behavior. It doesn't make it right. I'm just saying he has the right to excuse the behavior and give in to the temptation because he's thinking it's, it could only be one time. It's only, it's only just this one moment. Can I just tell you, it only took one bite of the fruit before we ended up where we did. Nobody's watching. Nobody will know. I can erase this. Joseph knew that his sin wasn't against Potiphar or his wife. Joseph knew his sin would be against God. That should be your motivation for falling into taking the bite of the fruit. The Bible teaches us that God doesn't make any exception for our sin. Zero. Potiphar's wife's request was three words, three Hebrew words. Sleep with me. Now Joseph gives a 35-word dissertation of why he's not going to do that. She uses those two Hebrew words to request him, to lure him, and he says, I got 35 words for you, woman. Why I'm not going to participate. And he says this in verse 8, but he refused. Look, he said to his master's wife, with me here, my master not, does not concern himself with anything in this house. And he has put all that he owns under my authority. No one in this house is, is greater than I am. He has withheld nothing from me except you. Because you are his wife. So he's try, you, you see what he's trying to help her redirect. So how could I do this, this immense evil and how could I sin against God? So Joseph's teaching us two things about sin here. Sin is an offense against God. Because that, that's where he's like, if I do this, it's not a sin. It's not a sin against Potiphar or Potiphar's wife. It is a, a sin against God. It is an offense against God. He knew that whatever he did in the dark would one day be brought into the light. Let me tell you something. You can shove your sin down the well all you want, but at some point it will come back up in the bucket. 
It will be exposed. You know, I can't believe that they get away with that. Yeah, that's in the darkness, but when the light hits it, Jesus will expose it. No doubt. How do I know that? Because he has exposed the very sin in my life when his light hit it. So look what he says. He knew his offense would be against God. In Psalm chapter 51, David says this about his sin. For I am conscious of my rebellion. Anybody? Anybody there? Like you know? And my sin is always before me. It's always against you, and it's against you alone. I have sinned and done this evil in your sight. He, David's saying, listen, I know that my offense was against you, and I know anything that I do that is sinful is not outside of your sight. It is exposed. How many of us view our sin as being against God? I'm just letting that simmer for just a second. Because at times we view our sin as being against each other, and it is. But it's also against God. It's, it's against his very, the way that he created us. It's against everything. It goes against everything that he is. And not only is it an offense to God, sin is also a separation from God. That was the very thing that separated us. Genesis chapter 3. Adam and Eve are separated. They had it all. God is walk, physically walking in the garden with them. And they sin, and separation happens. They sinned against him, and they were separated from him. Sin separates us from God. Now, Joseph wanted to be used by God, so he realized that he cannot be used and be an unclean vessel at the same time. He, he couldn't walk the line and say, well, I'm, I'm going to dip in over here, but I'm also going to dip in over on this side too, and I'm going to try to play both sides. Look what Paul says to Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 2. He says, now in a large house... There are not only gold and silver vessels, but also those of wood and clay, some for honorable use, and there's some for dishonorable. So if anyone purifies himself from anything that is dishonorable, he will be special instrument, set apart, useful to the master, prepared for every good work. I am motivated not to sin, not because of what I am scared that God will do to me, but because of what God may not do with me. There's a difference. Your sin can shut out the promise. Your sin can ruin what God's trying to do to you. And that should be our biggest fear. It's not what he would do to me, but what he may not do through me. Because I'm allowing a blockage of sin. It's even in your healing. Do you know that? The Bible talks about even your healing can be because of your sin and unforgiveness. It can pause even you being healed. You think God takes sin seriously? It's a blockage. So as a sinful vessel, God can't use me to the highest capacity when there's sin present. So we've seen the wife's request. We've seen Joseph's request, his 35 page word dissertation but look at the wife's resolve she says in verse 10 although she spoke to joseph day after day he refused he said no he refused to go to bed with her she's persistent she's asking she's begging she's giving off signals and what i love about joseph is that his eyes never wander to her but they continue to wander to god continues to focus on him. And now listen, you may think that you don't have a Potiphar in your life. 
of Potiphar's wife in your life. But let me tell you something. You do. Because Potiphar's wife takes on many different forms. Sometimes Potiphar's wife comes in material possessions. It becomes in the things that you want, the things that you have, the things that you strive for, that you're tempted, and you will go and spend outside of what you can afford, and you'll do dumb things that you're flirting around with Potiphar's wife. Nothing good comes of that. You may well, I don't have, a, I don't have material temptations. Well, what about personal temptations? What about the temptation that you feel like you've got to have some kind of title or power or some kind of authority? You've got to be in the know. You've got to be in this certain group. That's a Potiphar's wife. And the thing in this story, Joseph didn't go chasing her. She came chasing him. And let me tell you something about materials. And let me tell you something about personal temptations. They will come and try to find you. And we love, we love titles. I was just having this conversation with a group of pastors the other day. They were hiring staff. He said, what, what would you, I'm trying to figure out a title. I said, why don't you just call them this? Staff. <laughs> well, but they need to be pastors. We don't give that word pastor out to just anybody and everybody. Some do. They're going to have to answer for that. What's done in the dark will be brought to light. But why do we need to work for a title? You're in the church. Why do you need a title? Why do we need title? Why do we chase authority? Why do we chase power? If we're going to chase power and authority, let's chase the one that has the ultimate power and authority. Like we're always trying to chase things that don't matter. As Potiphar's wife, there's nothing good that comes from that. Come sleep with me. Come get comfortable. There's also the sexual temptation. She doesn't just come in physical form. She also comes in the form of websites and text messages and co-worker, Facebook friend, a neighbor. Listen, with great success comes great responsibility. And when we have been entrusted to be carriers of the gospel message, I would say that that comes with great responsibility. That God has chosen for us to carry his very words to people. I love what F.B. Meyer says. He says, we may expect temptation in the days of prosperity and ease then in those of privation and toil, not on the glacier slopes of the Alps, but in the sunny plains of the valley. Not when the youth is climbing uh, the step ladders of fame, but when he has entered the, the uh, golden portals, nor where man frown, but where they smile sweet, elegant smiles of flatter. It is there, it is there that the temptress lies in wait. Beware. Let me give you a warning. If things are going really well for you right now, be on guard. That's when the devil attacks. He attacks us in the place of comfort. Do you notice God doesn't like us to get comfortable? He always puts us in a place of tension because in the place of tension you grow, in the place of comfort we find ourselves in messes. The enemy will pounce on us when we're comfortable because that's when we least expect it. When you go to the beach and you're lying on the beach and you're enjoying the ocean and the breeze, your expectation is not that um, there could be possibly a tsunami that just comes or some northerner comes down and feeds the seagulls. And then, you know what I mean? <laughs> Stop feeding the seagulls. <laughs> Feed them when you're leaving the beach. If you're in the midst of a temptation, let me tell you, hear me out, hear me clearly. Flee from it right now. Save yourself. 
Save yourself. You know, Joseph also was faultless in his adversity. He was faultless. He, he, he said no. He didn't want to have anything to do with it because he knew that if I fall into this temptation, it's going to damage me, but my heart's going to break because I've broken the very heart, heart of God. I have offended him and I've separated myself from him. So in verse 11, it says, Now one day he went inside the house to do his work. Guys, this is clear biblical that you don't just do yard work. You wash dishes and you clean and you vacuum. It is your way of worship inside the house. I didn't say it was going to be done well. What I said was. Listen, none of the household servants were there. It was just the two of them. And she's over there going, oh, snap. Now, this is the moment. Like Everybody's out of the house. It's just the two of us. Look at him. Look at him dusting. <laughs> he got his Grove box in. We got all the cleaning products. And he's got the mop. I'm making my move. So she grabbed him by, say this word with me, by what? His garment. And said, sleep with me. I would say that's coming on a little strong. But leaving his garment in her hand, uh, just so we're very clear, there was nothing under said garment, okay? Um, he is streaking through Potiphar's house. There is no hiding from this. It's what it is. He's out. And he left his garment in her hand. He didn't even try to grab it back. He escaped and he ran outside. Probably not what I would have done, but it's, I would have run, just probably not outside, probably to a closet and locked myself in and called for help. When she saw that he had left his garment with her and had run outside. So Joseph shows up for work, normal day, ready to clean the palace. And Potiphar's wife decides, the day is the day that I get what I want. And in a heated moment of passion reaches over, and of all things, she grabs his what? Garment. He has to be thinking, not again. Because how many times has the garment gotten him in trouble? It was a coat last time. And this time it's his underwear. That's a very loose translation. You should think about it. He just got in trouble because of the garment. And notice how many times the word garment is mentioned in seven verses. The word garment is mentioned six times in seven verses. God's trying to tell us something. Trying to tell us something very clear. Joseph lost his coat, but he kept his character. You keep the garment, woman. But you won't take my character. I'm out of here. And I will run publicly through the streets of embarrassment. But I will not have my character attacked. She runs to tell her story in an effort to control the narrative. You ever had those people? They have a different story to tell. And often the narrative that they have to tell is not the true story. So during this time, she runs to control this narrative. Listen, temptation always has an escape. And sometimes you're going to have to run far and fast, and sometimes loudly. 
1 Corinthians chapter 10 says, there's no temptation that's come upon you except what is common to humanity. But God is, what? Faithful. And he will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able. I would say it this way, that God will not, he will not tempt you beyond what he can do. And he says this, but with temptation, he will also provide what? The way out. You're going to be faced with temptations. But he says, he will provide the way out so that you may be able to bear it. When you're tempted, the first thing you need to flee from is the sin. The first thing you need to flee to is God. Sexual temptation in our culture is so prevalent. It is a finger, literally a fingertip away. Did you know there was a study done and conducted that showed that Facebook was the cause of an astounding 66% of divorces. Be careful who you friend. Be careful who you follow. I tell guys this. I had one guy get really mad at me, and it was only because it was true. Your wife needs to have all of your passwords to all of your devices. And if you can't give that up, what are you hiding? That's your garment, bro. You got to let it go. Because we live, and you're like, I would never do that. You've never been that, that position before. Put yourself in a place of accountability so it won't. It's dangerous. Listen to me. If you're engaged in an inappropriate relationship of any kind, any person, any spouse, get out. And here's why. Sexual sin stains the body like no other sin. It doesn't mean that it's worse than all sins, but there is a certain reserved category for sexual sin because sexual sin stains the soul. It marks the soul. You can be forgiven for it, but the consequences of it go on forever. It sticks with you forever. Sexual sin is a permanent marker staining your soul. It's the dream, it's the images, it's the guilt, it's the embarrassment. That's why I think Paul says this in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 18. He says, flee, flee sexual immorality. Every other sin a person commits is outside the body. But the person who is sexually immoral sins against what? His own body. What we see with Joseph is that I believe that Joseph believes this. This is not good. But I've got to get out. I cannot jeopardize my relationship with him over this. Joseph knows that God is in control. Because I would be a nervous wreck. Because whose wife was this? Potiphar. Who was Potiphar in charge of? All of the executioners. He will kill me. In verse 21, it says, But the Lord. How many of you need that in your life? But the Lord was with Joseph. Didn't matter what Potiphar may want to do, didn't matter what his little wife wanted to do. The Lord was with Joseph. And I love this. He extended his kindness to him. 
New Testament will tell us that it's God's kindness that leads us to the redemption, that leads us to him. Because Joseph made the right decision, God extends kindness to him, and he granted him favor with the prison warden. If you're going to have buddies, the prison warden is probably the person in prison you want to have, be friends with, right? There are going to be some favors. There's going to be some help. And he gets his favor. And here's, here's Joseph's life summed up. Joseph seceded because God was working in his life. At 17 years old, he has this dream. In 28 years, he endures slavery. And then he has to do a two-year prison sentence for something that he did not do. And he receives this prison sentence. Remember, Joseph is a picture of Jesus in the Old Testament. Here's what I mean by that. Joseph is persecuted for crimes he did not commit. And he's the, he's the favored son, right? When Joseph goes into prison, he is surrounded, flanked by two men. There's a cupbearer and there's a baker. Is it any coincidence that at the crucifixion of Jesus, he is flanked by two men? In prison, one man says he remembers Joseph, and the other says that he does not. And on the cross, Jesus says, one man denied me, and the other said, I'll remember you. The Old Testament is constantly pointing to the coming of the Messiah. It is shouting it. This story is shouting. It is shouting that he is coming. That the sin, the separation, will one day, Jesus will step in. And when he steps in, he will restore this relationship so that you and I can have a relationship with him. After 13 years of waiting, Joseph, God will rise him to this place of power. And in order for Joseph to get to this place of prominence, the number two seat in all of Egypt, he has to go through the ups and downs. Don't ever take lightly the down parts of your life. Because it's often in the downs, in the valleys, that God will build us up so that we can be sustained on the mountaintops. Don't ever forsake. Listen, there's nothing that you go through that God will waste. Joseph wasn't ready at 28 for that responsibility. So he had to go through some stuff to be prepared for some more stuff. And I would say it in this way, that your present troubles are preparing you for a future position. Not a position like a job or a title, but a position of the man and woman that God is calling you to be. Isn't that the only title that really matters? Is that we're the sons and daughters of the Father. It's the only title that matters. It's in the struggling that God builds strength. It's wherever you are, whatever you're struggling with, keep walking. Don't stop. Walk. The Bible says to walk in cadence with, in step with the Spirit. He will lead you, He will sustain you, and He will give you what you need for today.
Give us this day our what? Daily bread. Just today. God, I just need, I don't, I'm not worried about tomorrow. Let tomorrow worry about itself. I just need today. I just know that you can sustain me today. You ever need that? Just, just today. I'll worry about tomorrow, tomorrow. But God, right now, I, I, need, I need you today. So keep walking. God just wants you to take the next step. And if you're in the midst of temptation, run. Run far and run fast and run into the arms of Jesus. That is your protection. We live in a very volatile culture. The temptation is within seconds of us walking outside of this door. It may be within seconds of you being inside this building. But if it leads us to sin, we have committed an offense to God and have separated ourselves from Him. And here's what this means for us today. We need to come to a place where we confess our sin to Him. The Bible says that if we confess our sins to Him, that He will be faithful, you ready? And just to forgive our sins. Like, I'm too embarrassed to even talk to God about what I've done. Hey, can I just let you in a little secret? He already knows. He saw it. And you don't have to come to Him in shame. We don't approach our God in shame. Paul says we approach Him with confidence. Confidence in the Latin. You know what that word confide is in Latin? Faith. Believing that God is who He says He is and will do the things that He says that He can do. I want to pray over you this morning. Some of you, some of you do not even have that relationship with Jesus. And I want to let you know right now that he, he longs and desires to have the relationship with you. He is your father. And he wants nothing more than to be with you. For some of you, hey, you're, you say, I, I've, I've allowed Jesus to save me. I've surrendered to his lordship and I've never taken the next step. Next weekend is a great opportunity for you to take that next step in baptism. What better way to publicly show baptism and following in the same steps that Jesus did. And for some of you, you need to go directly to that cross back there and you need to confess those sins. You need to write down. You need to pray. We'll have somebody back there to pray with if you want to pray with someone, if you want to pray by yourself, but confess the sin. Because here's what happens. Unconfessed sins becomes a burden on your shoulders and you and I were never intended to be carrying burdens. It's really hard to follow Jesus and have burdens on our shoulders all at the same time really difficult. He says, my yoke is light. For you couples in here, I want to pray for you. I want to pray that God would give you the wisdom to protect your marriage, to flee from any temptations. Father, in these next moments, there's the weight of all of this is that our sin has separated us. And God, that sometimes we 
our pride keeps us and says we want to keep our coat and we're willing to sacrifice our very character, our very relationship with you just to keep the garment of status and approval. And Lord, why in the world do we need the world to approve us? Are we kidding? You are our Father. And we have all the approval that we need on Calvary's cross. The blood-stained cross shows that we have been approved that our sin has been forgiven, that you long to have a relationship with us. These next moments, Father, your spirit is working. There is a conviction on some lives in this place. There's some bondages that need to be broken in this place right now. In Jesus' name, I declare that that happens. The devil will not have a stronghold in this place because this, this place is holy ground. It is saturated with the tears of the saints who have prayed over this place. It is saturated with your blood. Your word tells us in Revelation that we, we will overcome the enemy because of the testimony of the things that you have done. And God, we know that we cannot have a testimony without a test. Can I get an amen from somebody? But we overcome the enemy by the word of our testimony of what you've done for us and by the blood of your son, Jesus. I plead the blood this morning, God. hardest thing is to say, I have sinned. It takes humility, but that is the first step into a relationship with you. So Lord, this morning, I pray for every marriage, every couple that is here. Protect them. Help them keep their eyes on you, knowing that you are the giver of all good things. You are the shepherd who protects. They'll keep their eyes on you, God. You will protect their marriages. And by protecting their marriages, God, they are protecting generations of their family. So Jesus, move in this place as I know you already are. May your Holy Spirit convict us. May he move us this morning. And may you get all honor and glory and praise as you, God, alone rightfully deserve. And I pray these things in your name.